Hi everyone, I'm chatting to Sergeant Martin Lally from Greater Manchester Police over in Manchester in the UK. Welcome Martin to Conversations with the Code 9 Foundation. Uh, good morning, how are you doing? Good, thanks mate, good. Martin, um, thanks for taking the time. I know it's just after 8am over there in Manchester, it's great to catch up with you again. I suppose we should start the conversation by just uh, telling people how we know each other and you don't mind if I call you Lels, do you? Oh, no, not at all, mate, not at all. It's good to speak to you again. Yeah, it's been a while since um, since I've called you Martin, put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, we got to know each other um, initially back in May 2018 when you were so kind to host me for a number of days when I was on my Churchill Fellowship over there in Manchester. Um, and then um, I returned to serve in May 2019, so 12 months later, because you were also the recipient of a Churchill Fellowship and you came and spent a number of days with me out here um, with Victoria Police. So um, we just did a full circle, really, didn't we? <laughs> we did, mate. Yeah, it was uh, it was really good, though. You were really welcome over here in the UK. You you know, any, any fellows from over there are, are welcome to GMP at any time, just like you was. But uh, I was really thankful for your... Uh, real great hospitality when I came over to see you. Oh, it's one thing I think as um, first responders, we're always good at looking after each other, aren't we? And you did you did exactly the same for me, mate. So it's just... And look, we've shared, we share a really good relationship and we always catch up with each other, whether it be by email or a chat every now and then because we're always checking up on each other to see what's going on in our different worlds. So I really... Yeah, definitely. Really appreciate your time. Now let's start, mate, if you can just... Um, Give the guys and girls, I suppose, a bit of a bit of an update or you know, a bit of an outline of your policing career and what you're currently doing, and go right back to the start. Yeah, no worries at all. So, uh, I uh, I joined GMP 2002, so 18 years now working as a copper. Uh, I feel like a little bit of a dinosaur, to be honest with you, Dino. To be honest with you, these days, but. Uh, no, it's uh, it's been great, mate. I've I've done a, you know I started off as a frontline cop, working out of the Bolton district. Uh, loved it. Did all the response type duties. Uh, you know, you know I was a a walker back then, not of the Game of Thrones type ilk, but uh, you know we actually had to walk at that point and with your big hat on and walk round and check doors on nights, etc. Uh, but I did all right, you know. I impressed supervision and and pretty soon they rewarded me with kind of you know onto the cars and did a load of frontline responding uh, and I, I kind of did about six years I think and then obviously you you know you moved to do something else and I went into what we call neighbourhoods over here where it was more of a a problem-solving type approach uh, to policing, which was really good. I really, really was my forte, to be honest. Uh, you know, in, in 2009, I think they got a little bit short on the old sergeant level, so they promoted me, uh, <laughs> which was, uh, which was uh, a really kind of them. And, I, you know, I've been a sergeant ever since. Uh, again, I did a number of roles done. Uh, I did operations coordinator for a while, and then I got my own response team, which was just amazing. Uh, and then I moved back into the neighbourhood again. So, again, we're talking about circles again. I kind of did the old circles. And uh, it's funny because when you join, I think I wanted to be in the CID. I wanted to be a criminal investigator, but my, my, my career never went that way. Do you know what I mean? I never seemed to kind of go that way. And actually, you know, I ended up in, in 2015... I ended up becoming a federation rep, so uh, we basically can't have a union in, in British policing, but we can have a federation who negotiates on pay conditions and look at all things specific. And, and my kind of forte, I kind of had ended up in the, the health and safety world in relation to that. And I took, uh, took the role up full time in, in 17. A uh, few things went on, you know, uh, it was... You know, it was it was brilliant to help people. You know, sometimes the politics got a little bit too much of me because you know I'm just a lad from Wigan. You know, who kind of like likes helping people, but doesn't really play a political game. And you know, and at the end of 2019, I made the, the decision to come away from that, come back to the front line, and I landed myself at. Uh, the organisational learning branch, uh, working out a training school, and that's where I've been for 12 months. But uh, it's been one of the most 
strangest years ever, you know, worldwide, really, with the global yeah. pandemic. But uh, I've been kind of every weekend, you know, working on the uh, working on Manchester's response to, you know, illegal raves, opener gatherings, uh, basically enforcing the COVID regulations over here in the UK. Uh, and it's, you know, it's been really good, mate. I'm, 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 I feel brilliant. I'm back in the game. I had a real dip with my own mental health at the back end of coming back off my fellowship. And, uh, you know, but I got back in the game, got out there, been supported really well. Yeah. Uh, still doing some work with the police treatment centre, which I know you saw when you was over here. Obviously, where our officers go to get to to, to do their recovery and, and get physiotherapy and psychological help. Uh, I love that work. Uh, I'm still a, a, a trustee there. Uh, that's been amazing. Still managed to maintain that, and I now kind of promote the treatment centre to all our new recruits within force. Uh, yeah, mate, and that's that's kind of it, mate, in relation to the job. So, how old were you when you joined Lels? I was 22, a little bit kind of, and a little bit of life experience. I'd, you know, I'd, I had two kids at that point as well, uh, which is which is quite crazy really now to think about it. But, uh, you know, I had a little bit of life experience. I'd had my own business. I'd done a little bit of singing and, and in the clubs and that, playing a bit of guitar and that, and, you know, working in pubs and stuff and just kind of ticking over. But I wanted a career, you know, and the police was what I always wanted to do. Yep. It's, um, I never knew you were a, a musician, mate. They kept that a bit of a secret. <laughs> yeah, I don't tell everyone, mate, because I'm just average. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, we'll have to, you'll have to show me at some stage. So, <laughs> we'll do, um, GM, GMP, mate, what, you know, from a um, force perspective, I suppose, you know, how many, how many police staff do you have over there and maybe perhaps a bit of information about your recruit training, how long that's for, etc. Yeah, mate, no problem at all. So, uh, GMP, we, we serve about 2.8 million people in the Greater Manchester area. Uh, we uh, we have around about, I think the last count was around about 6,200 sworn officers in Greater Manchester Police, but we have over 10,000 employees uh, with uh, our police staff who are outstanding who kind of help us out as, uh, who kind of help out and do other bits within the force you know what I mean they have their own specific roles which are more police staff based rather than police officer based mm -hmm. uh, we, we cover 10 districts across uh, the, the, the size of the force and actually the city of Manchester is actually bigger than I think it's 11 other police forces in the whole of the UK so the actual city district is bigger than 11 police forces across the United Kingdom yeah. uh, we also have a number of specialist units. So we have like a tactic, for example, we have a tactical aid team who, you know, we were a specialist in public order tactics. We have a mounted unit. We have a dogs unit. We have a specialised roads policing unit. We have a specialised drone team now. We have our own GMP drone that we've used uh, quite a lot this year. Uh, and then we have things like serious crime, murder investigation. So there's a whole host of different uh, units across the force. Yeah. Uh, mentioned to you about working at the training school, so uh, you asked me about training and our recruits, they, they go through, I, I think it's around about a 20-week, it's like intensive law and situation type training. Uh, we've really had to, uh, the, the, the trainers at our training school have been amazing this year because they've had to, uh, they've had to really kind of, uh, uh, really work on on a thing. I'm really sorry, the dogs. <laughs> I, can only hear my dog I told you we were relaxed. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's crying in the background. So uh, sorry about that, buddy. Uh, so uh, yeah, so we, they've, they've had to work really hard this year. They've really, uh, they've really kind of uh, turned had to turn the training into a different kind of standard of training because we've had to work virtually, we've had to work remotely, so it's been really different this year, do you know what I mean, in the way that we've had to train our recruits, but once they've been through their, uh, their intensive training, they then kind of go out onto a district then and do... 10 weeks in company with a uh, with an experienced officer and, and that forms part of the two-year probation period as a student officer. Uh, we are going to be going to what we call an educational qualification framework in the near future as well, which will turn the probationary period into a three-year probationary period.
What about from a training perspective? So in those 20 weeks that you mentioned, what uh, component of that 20 weeks do the recruits, uh, do they have any mental health training, any mental health literacy, anything at all that they uh, are taught through in relation to that before they graduate? There is a small amount, Greg, but you know you know, I'm always honest and, and, and this is the big thing for me is that, you know, we, we probably still don't do enough in that early time period with them because mental health is so important. You know, I'm such a an advocate of mental health I've, I've, I've you know I've, I've experienced poor mental health myself as a result of you know certain aspects of the job and you know it, it's so important and you know I'm still fighting that fight really to kind of get people you know that mental health training that they really need you know in order to do the job yeah, have you noticed it you say there's a little bit is that just a recent um, education components coming over the last couple of years I think my own personal view is, Greg, is that we, we probably don't do enough. If you look at how kind of impactive, for example, the the half-day mental health first aid England course could be, which is only four and a half hours of training, but we have so much training to give our students that it's hard to fit other things into the training package, if that makes sense. But I suppose the big debate is, you know, what is more important in this day and age you know, do we kind of, you know, lose certain aspects or move things around? And these are the kind of debates that I'm having. But, uh, you know, it's it's getting better. We are seeing a lot more kind of push towards mental health training now, which is really good. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Um, and you mentioned just briefly there your, your own struggles with mental health. Are you happy to share some of that with us? Look, I, you know, I think it's... Um, I know here, and you probably saw it when you're over here as well from a mental health perspective in Victoria Police, I think we've made some big strides, and particularly around the breaking the stigma of help-seeking, etc. Was that an issue for you personally? Yeah, mate, I'm quite happy to share it with you because it's important. If we, if we don't share, then people, you know, might be suffering like I was, you know what I mean? I was, you know, I, I, I mean... I'm hope. I think we're going to probably go on and talk about Manchester Arena and the role that I, I did at Manchester Arena and kind of post that uh, and moving forward. You know, I I just I think for me, mate, it was a little bit. There was a lot of kind of a lot of things I've dealt with. Quite a lot of really bad incidents. You know what I mean? I had some things from my, from my past as well that I'd I've not kind of dealt with. You know what I mean? And I I felt like this. It was more kind of because I was an advocate. I was a little bit scared of saying, well, actually, even though I'm an advocate, actually, I feel a little bit bad as well. Do you know what I mean? And actually, yeah. it's it would, really, can I, can I go forward? Because are people going to say, oh, well, Lal's, what's Lal's doing talking about all this kind of mental health stuff? And But yet he's kind of suffering himself. So, you know, and I, when I was in the last role as well, you know, I had some real kind of you know, difficulties within that role and that didn't help me neither and that kind of pushed me into a, a very, very difficult place. I've kind of suffered with, you know, anxieties a lot through my life, you know, uh, you know, kind of, you know, you know, like it's really been difficult to kind of manage them. I know that now, you know, I'm more aware now of what they are and, you know, how to manage them and I think at the back end of 2019, coming off my fellowship and kind of the, the behaviours of some, some people within work towards me and stuff that was going on in my, my life, it really kind of accumulated and I hit a really, really dark spell, you know, a really, really dark place and, uh, you know, didn't really kind of, you know, didn't really see a future, you know, to be honest with you, being honest with you and it was only because you know I managed to kind of you know muster together all the education that I had uh, you know and everything I kind of learned from my fellowship and actually learned about you know you know myself that you know I was able to get some support and it's thanks to the the, uh, the current bosses that I work for were, were really good you know they you know they kind of stepped in intercepted what was what was going on they they offered me an out they said to me look you know this is you know we're not going to believe all that 
that bull that's being said about about Lals, you know what I mean? Actually, we know Lals, and Lals is a good lad, and you know why why is he feeling like this? And they actually gave me like a a new you know a new role, a new kind of you know a new birth in the job, and it really really helped me, and I was able to kind of turn things around. And actually, that kind of downward spiral that I was on at that time was very quickly able to kind of resolve itself because you know I just found a change in my life and was able to kind of move back. And you know what, mate. You know, it's true what they say, recovery is possible for anybody. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, just by kind of speaking to somebody about it and actually, you know, looking at doing a few small life changes. It's really interesting that there's a guy we've been working with on our podcast in GMP called, uh, called Dunk. And he, he calls it trimming the fat. Mm-hmm. And it's basically about looking after yourself and saying no to a few things and actually saying, do you know what, I can't do that today because I need to look after my health. And, uh, you know, and, and actually I need to kind of trim that away today, you know, trim that negativity away, trim that kind of, you know, doing too much and actually look after myself and, you know, keep myself healthy and pushing forward. And we go back to when you first started, you know, mentioned how you felt as an advocate for for better mental health. You, fe- you found it hard to actually be open and tell all the people that you were, for want a better description, preaching about good mental health. What what gave you the intestinal fortitude in the end to be, to feel, you know, to feel confident in actually coming out and talking about it? I think in the end it was, it was mainly because one of my, my main bosses picked the phone up to me and said, look, I've, I've kind of heard this, I've heard what's going on with you and, and it, I feel like it's, it's not a true reflection of your character and, you know, I, I you know, I, I want to see, I want to understand what's going on and, you know, regardless of the fact that I had all the kind of education and I could see, or I, 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 I was trying, I knew it was the, you know, you know, but I was, I was trying to, trying to mask it away so to speak uh you know it, it felt like the right time so I, I spoke to some real key people and I, you know i'm such an advocate of it i think regardless of you know any form of you know of process when dealing with mental health there is nothing better than actually speaking about your problems you know actually speaking to somebody about what's going on and actually getting it out in the open and you know and and dealing with it basically and sometimes if that means making that change in your life of actually going away from something that you love and that you you love doing and just you know doing something different just for your own health and that's what's most important you know that you you know you make the change but it's it starts by actually recognizing and you know when like you said having the, the, the intestinal fortitude to actually say you know i'm not okay yeah. at the moment you know I'm, I'm not okay i need someone to talk to i need someone to help me you know what i mean and actually you know direct me back onto the right path so to speak and i you know you said something there before mate which i was so glad to hear you say that you know you said a boss of yours rang you took picked up the phone to ring you because he didn't think you were yourself which i think is great how much how important was that that you had the support of your bosses and that your boss actually proactively contacted you to see if you're okay how important in your eyes in in your recovery and for you to deal with it how important was that it meant everything mate it meant everything because you know at, at the end of the day i didn't i didn't know how to tackle 2020 because at that point we didn't know how 2020 was going to turn out with everything we've had to deal with but you know the fact that you know he picked the phone up to me and said, you know, what's going on? Do you know what I mean? I'm, you know, I, I need to understand what this is. And gave me options as well. Do you know what I mean? Didn't force me down a road. He said to me, look, this is what you can do. Or you can, you know, you can come back to force. You know, there's there's a role here for you. We will look after you. And do you know what? The, 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 the interesting thing, Dino, is as well, and I don't mind saying it, is there wasn't really a role there for me. But that boss made it that there was a role for me. And then when I got there, they did a review of my skills and asked me to set a project up for them, which I'm currently doing and I absolutely love. And you know what? You're right. I'll, I'll always be... Through your life, I think you remember people who've influenced your life and who've done things for you. And I'll never forget 
what that boss did for me. I'll always be thankful to him for, you know, just taking the time on that Tuesday morning to pick the phone up to me and ring me and say, you know, what's going on and how can we kind of make this better? And you're right, it, it meant the world. And from his perspective, in my opinion, he didn't really do anything special, did he? It was probably something that as a, as a people manager is probably a role of yours. Absolutely, yeah. He, he, you know, he, it was. You're absolutely right. He, you know, it was, but it was just taking the, the time, you know, to kind of, you know, you know, putting away the kind of corporate stuff and just actually, you know, taking that personal perspective of where I currently was and where I was currently dealing with. Yeah, that's great. That's that's a really, really good point. Really good story. A good message for all our bosses out there that are listening. Um, now, what about um, so since you've um, taken the the road to recovery after you've, what do you do differently now for yourself? What do you do to ensure that your mental health and your well being is at its best? That you perhaps you weren't doing at the time when you were struggling. I think the most important thing is that, you know, I, I understand now that, uh, you know, I, I feel part of a team, you know, that I, I've got people there, you know, I regularly take my my mental health assessments because obviously I'm quite involved with the the, uh, the trauma management team within GMP and I regularly take my mental health assessments, you know, I, I know now where the kind of tap is, where, where, you know, where the tap is and how to kind of, you know, empty my container out a little bit once things are kind of getting to the top and I think what I didn't know was because I was masking over you know, because I was kind of under a little bit of pressure uh, within the within the with personalities and characters. You know, it's hard to say a lot. You know, you know what I mean. But uh, you know, you know, I was I, I'm able now to uh, to identify when things are starting to go a little bit wobbly for me and actually step away. You know, whether that be just take a little bit of time, whether that be go and have a you know have a chat to you know to appear. You know, I have got another boss now who's just amazing. She's really good, really supportive. You know, she's uh, you know she kind of you know uh, she gets me as well. You know, because she knows that at times I can be a little bit kind of giddy and you know and I'll I'll want to do too much and she'll say do you know do you think you maybe need to kind of chill out you know just relax and and I'll say yeah yeah you're right boss and kind of you know she she just gets me and I think with me it's uh you know it's having them great people around me has allowed me now to find my coping strategies which is to kind of review what Lals is currently doing and just kind of stop and you know have a minute and just chill out and kind of get yourself back on track you know what I mean and that's the big thing for me and everyone's different mate aren't they you know what I mean that you know everyone has a different coping strategy and and that that's it for me it's that it's being surrounded by good people who have got my kind of well-being and my welfare and mind and uh, you know and, and help me to kind of find the path to myself what about outside of work did you make much changes to your lifestyle or anything like that on top of the stuff at work uh, yeah i did a little bit i you know i i, I kind of what i what i did what i did feel was that you know i was bringing a lot of work home with me so I was bringing a lot of kind of actual work home with me and I would, you know, because I was tr always trying to keep up with the curve type thing and I was bringing like the pressure of what was going on at work into the house as well. And, I, I, you know, I look back on it now and I think, you know, God, I must have talked every day to my wife about, you know, what was going on at work, how angry and upset I was about it. Whereas now work's more of a, I part work at work and home is home now and that's very helpful as well because your home life your rest your sleep getting more sleep you know you know having like things to do like just taking the dog out for a walk just kind of you know like you know getting out doing a little bit of fitness not that i've been doing much this year mate i've got to tell you i've got to get myself back in shape yeah. but you know uh you, you just kind of them small things you know of, of, of thinking i love 
obviously you know getting together with the boys you know going for a going for a beer with the boys and you know that's really means a lot to me as well They're like friends from a lot of years and you know and having some good banter with them and and that and that's been difficult this year for me because i've not been able to do that with the lockdown i've only seen my, my close friends once this year and that was when we kind of broke the lockdown the first time round, and then but obviously we're back in it now here in the uk you know, I think those relationships outside of work are massive, aren't they? And I must admit, I have noticed on your Facebook feed, mate, there's not as many uh, photos of you and the lads, whether you're watching Wigan play soccer or you're down listening to a band. I haven't seen that for a while. Yeah, I love going to the concerts, mate. I've got uh, so much lined up for next year. You know, I'm going to be, you'll be sick to see in Lal's Facebook next year when they all start popping up there. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I do put a lot on with the boys. You know, I just don't put pictures of things going on with Wigan because Wigan are just so poor at the moment. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> but they are poor. They're going through some real difficulties. But, uh, you know, no, it's uh, it's been an interesting year for us. And uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully next year to be able to be, you know, getting back out to watch the footy and getting out to, you know, I love going to the music gigs with my mate uh, Twiggy. He's a, he's a great guy. He looks after me and keeps me kind of moving on, you know. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There's some super messages in there, mate, that I'm sure the listeners will, will, some will relate to and some might even pick up and instigate for themselves. So thanks for sharing that. That's really cool of you. Um, Can I just say finally, Dirty, you know, mate, I, I just think, I know I sound a little bit simplistic, but sometimes the simple things in life are what you need. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a you know, a, a mind-boggling scientific discovery that you make to get your mental health good. I think it's what works for you and what works for me is kind of strong friendship, you know, good relationships, good working relationships, but hard working relationships and just kind of moving forward, being positive and enjoying what we do and enjoying your life. And it's as simplistic for that as me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, mate. Thanks for sharing too. Um, as you mentioned earlier on in the interview, I think you know the main driver behind me actually meeting up with you was um, the tragedy that occurred on the 22nd of May 2017 over there at the arena there in Manchester at uh, the Ariana Grande concert where you know 23 people unfortunately were killed um, and you were a massive driver in the GMP wellbeing response to that. Can you just share with us what that sort of looked like from a GMP perspective? Yeah, yeah mate, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it's kind of... Uh it's kind of hard to kind of think about these days. You know, it seems like it's, it's in a strange way. It seems so far away, but yet it was only three years, and you know, it, it was such a difficult time. I think it's important to kind of talk about it. Uh, first of all, was like the, you know, we was working on the trim provision for GMP for a number of years prior to the arena. You know, there'd been some high-profile incidents, and you know, the provision had not been the kind of the, the, the greatest, shall we say, you know, there had been provision there, but it hadn't been the greatest and there certainly hadn't been like a peer-led type system. That was the big thing. So people were kind of getting a little bit like, do I really want to go and take that occupational health advice, for example, or do I want to go to that place? You know, actually what we wanted to do was bring a peer support system in. And luckily, uh, we'd been working on bringing it in and, 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 and we're, we're kind of in the right place at the wrong time, if that makes sense, yeah. because... Post the arena, we were asked by the chief constable, Mr. Hopkins, to, you know, to activate the trim team in full flow and actually look after cops and, and police staff members. And that's exactly what we did. You know, I jumped to the challenge to do it and I led the team for a couple of months post the incident. Uh, it was really difficult, mate. It was a, it was a really difficult time. Cops had seen things that they should never see. You know, there was cops there on the night that literally, you know, we were talking about the ten week in company periods. They were literally in company in the last, you know, in the ten weeks before they come an independent officer. At that point, you should be looking forward to, you know, going out catching criminals. You know, you know, building your own career, and then you're faced with something as terrible as that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean. The good thing about it is that the team, you know, the team was only small at the time, uh, but, you know, we, we managed to help just short of 200 people, 200 officers and staff uh, post the incident. But when you look at it, there was probably around 1,200 of our staff involved 
in, in the actual response to the incident, you know, so, you know, like a sixth of our staff, in, of, of all staff involved, or a tenth even of all staff involved, you know, in the in the incident, and, you know, we, we helped 187, and, you know, it's, it's, it's good that then people are doing well, you know, but some, some have not recovered, you know, have not been able to, and unfortunately some have gone out the organisation, which is sad because, you know, they may have been, great cops you know and you know they were great cops and may have gone on to do great things as cops but you know it just uh, it just kind of impacted everybody different it was such a, a difficult time to be a police officer and it, you know you know yourself mate I, I do a presentation on this but you know it's not just the it's not just the people who walk through the door it's the people that did everything else afterwards you know even standing on the scenes and dealing with parents going to the hospitals you know you know the things that we had to do afterwards like family liaison you know counter-terrorism teams you know it was an impact on everybody including the trim team as well yeah. do you know what i mean there's there's a you know you know i i wasn't there at on the night but i was i was in the game from the next day and you know i you know, I feel like I know a lot about that job now that will never go away from me, even though I never attended. And it's that kind of vicarious trauma element as well that you always have to be aware of with everybody. You know, that, you know, that that trauma can be passed in certain ways over to you. You know, and it's something that will live with great Manchester police officers forever, I think. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, you helped 186, but there was, you know, 11, 1,200 officers that were there on the night. Just the, the difference between the... Are you saying that um, you spoke to the 11 or 1,200, but there were like a 1,000 that didn't want to take any assistance? Or can you just explain the difference or the variance in that gap? I think what was happening at the time, mate, was we were quite... We were quite kind of new to the process that we use. I mean, no, you know... I, I hope it never happens again, but if it did happen to us now, our processes and our our kind of, you know, standards and practices would be a lot different now in relation to what it was in 17, just in relation to kind of how we, how we triage post-event. And I think one of the things that I always talk about is, as the leads, I should have looked to get more people in whether that be from different companies, different forces, to assist our team. So we could have cast our net that bit wider. But yeah, what actually happened was, in, in, in total, in conclusion, there was around about 1,200 who were kind of, who did something, who did some form of role, that being from call takers to standing on scenes to crime scene investigations. So that's, that's the whole casting of the net. And what we actually did was the 187 was what we put through individual or group assessment. So we actually did intense one-to-one -one peer support with them. Yeah, okay. What, um, I just lost my train of thought there. The Over what time period was that when you, those 187 staff, um, what time period was that over Lowell's? It was the, it was the basically the couple of months afterwards after the event because we yeah. follow the, uh, protocols and practices some was a little bit difficult the reason why it went longer than what we, we would normally run it over a month but what the some went a bit longer because it's hard to determine when somebody's exposure ends to something when they're dealing with it day to day so some people had to be picked up you know quite post the event rather than kind of within the in 72 hours post the event so, um, and I'm going a little bit from memory, mate, from when I spent my time there with you, but correct me if I'm wrong. So at the time that you've responded uh, with the trim team, you were part of the GMP Federation. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, I was, yeah. I was, uh, I was on the Federation team. I just literally started the role, yeah. So, as you mentioned earlier, so that would be equivalent to our union over here, so the Victoria Police Association and, you know, our... Fire brigades and ambulances have all got their own union. So, does that mean then that there was no actual GMP wellbeing support team at all, or they, the actual force itself didn't provide any wellbeing support at that time? We did have an occupational health team in place that was up and running. What we didn't have was a peer support network in relation to. Uh, 
in relation to trauma management. We had peer support, which had been excellently set up by Adele Owen. You probably remember Adele, Greg, from time here. And she'll be doing a podcast with me shortly. I've got to speak to her in a couple of weeks. She's a great lady. Yeah, Adele's a great lady, and Adele had worked hard to set up a, a peer support network in relation to other elements of peer support. Getting back to the question, what we what we had was we did have occupational health in place, but we didn't have a peer support system post-trauma, uh, and we, we brought the trim process in in order to manage that. Uh, when you talked about the Federation, and probably listeners may feel, well, why did the force not have this? Well, the Federation took a very bold step to say to the force, look, we think this is a really good process. And actually, we think that you should adopt this. And, you know, you know, what actually happened is coming off the back of that is the force did take control of that and they've now kind of commissioned and we now have Stevie Phillips back in place who was the who Stevie worked with me and I worked with Stevie in the initial post uh, pre-17 uh, and we kind of was pulling the team together but Steve retired from the job and came back as a police staff member and now runs our trim team so the force have, have really kind of looked at this now and gone do you know what that works that and that worked for our teams and we need that in place now full time and Steve manages our teams now and it's all ran by the force and the federation the federation should really take uh, should really take some pride and pleasure from the fact that they did what they're supposed to do, they're supposed to identify welfare uh, welfare issues within the force, identify them to the force and get them to react to it Uh, the big shame you know, and I'm going to be honest here is that not everybody within that organisation locally, not nationally, because nationally the support is amazing, but locally did not agree with some elements of that. And I think that's when I was talking to you about politics and stuff, that's what I could never get past because surely it should be about officer welfare and well-being and not just about all the bits and pieces that are dealt with, you know, and we have to forward think all the time about how we're going to kind of look after people and you know they should be really proud of what they did you know what I mean with with me in the seat kind of driving it rather than looking back on it thinking well that was just something that you know came about and maybe we kind of you know put some bit too much cash into it maybe or maybe we should have got the force to it quicker no forget all that forget all that the fact is you did something really good which now helps our officers day to day because I think, um, and once again, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the time of the bombing at the arena, um, GMP didn't actually have a formalised wellbeing team, did they? No, we didn't, and you know, we did. We, we we do have a wellbeing team now uh, who are outstanding, have been really good, and have done a lot of work with me on the podcast. So yeah, you're right, mate. We didn't at the time, but we do now. I think it was um, may have only been made three months after the arena incident. I think because when I caught up with the ladies there, I think I remember that, like August 2017, like three months after the arena incident, they actually were formalised. I think. Does that sound right? Yeah, mate, it does. They're, they're just outstanding, mate. The, the work that they do is is incredible, uh, you know. And it and it's not it's not work that goes, you know, that will kind of be, you know, the the the, the big news story of the day type thing. But yeah. that work in the background, that kind of you know, that constant machine in the background, that engine, is a mate. It's so important. It's so important to the to the job. And how do how have they since they started? Have they been able to get a lot of traction with the with all the police? Like, are they having, you know, are they getting overrun with people coming to see them? Are they coping, or are they did they find it really hard at the start to get buy in and traction? Yeah, they did, they did find it hard at the start to get traction because, like everything with coppers, you know, at times it's hard to kind of you know get the get the horse to water mate but you know I think they've done really well in this last three year period and actually they've kind of they've shown that you know well-being is a big thing that's required in policing and there is starting to be a big change in GM mate there really is you know you can see now that people understand it a lot more the amount of just referrals that we get into trim I mean I, I last night I was working till late and we had five jobs ongoing you know five jobs over the course of two days which had been trim referred and you know that's that's outstanding because it means that 
the line managers are saying, do you know what, it's not acceptable for our staff to go to them jobs and not get some support on the back of it. And, and that's just a real achievement for me. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said, I spoke to the girls in the... So it was 2018. I, so they probably well, hadn't even been open for, for 12 months when I spoke to them. And, you know, they're obviously really interested in what, you know, what we've got set up here in Victoria Police from a wellbeing um, perspective. The time that you spent out here with me, Lels, um, at uh, Wellbeing Services, what, what stood yep. out for you about your your little research tour out here in Victoria Police? What stood out for you about our wellbeing services infrastructure that we've got running here in Vicpol? I mean, it's probably important to say, mate, that when I came out, I was looking at responses to to trauma and I'd been to America the year previously I, I, I had to split my fellowship into two I couldn't do it as a I know you kind of went off on a quite a lengthy tour didn't you and was away from home for some time unfortunately I, I had to split mine into two yep and you know I was looking at kind of responses to type 1 type 2 trauma and you know how do we protect the protectors you know how do we my big thing was how, what what do we put in place and we just spoke about a lot of it there haven't we what GMP put in place but I want to know what other forces did and what they put in place and you know my visit to uh, Victoria was, was, was brilliant and, I, and I'm not just saying that to you mate because you are this is the podcast and we're online you know I, I see you and Los Angeles as the most progressive uh, in relation to well-being services and support that I saw across visiting, you know, Sydney and yourselves when I was in Australia, uh, New York, Boston, Chicago, Seattle, you know, Los Angeles. I was really lucky on my fellowship to visit so many amazing places and, and everywhere there was an element of, you know, we need to do this, you know, there was like-minded people, there was positive thought process but the thing that kind of stuck out to me about Victoria was the dedication. The most thing that, that stood out to me was the dedication of your chief uh, to the cause. And we, we've, we've touched on that with how important senior managers are to the, to the cause uh, and how much you kind of put into it and the level of people that were day-to-day -day just dedicated doing work towards helping people. Whereas in other areas that I visited, it was a lot more like what the journey I'd been through where it was progressive in the way that they wanted things to be set up and they wanted things to go forward but they were still it still needed someone to come along and kick it up the butt a little bit you know what I mean and get in and I think that's important as well that the likes of yourself in there who was so dedicated and so passionate to it and driving it forward I think we shouldn't underestimate the power of having somebody so dedicated to looking after people, pushing it forward, and that's what I'm trying to achieve in GM, mate. You know, I think it was, um, and I've said to a lot of people since I come back from mine, you know, I remember before I left for mine, um, our Chief Commissioner, who you, you were referring to, Mr Ashton, actually said to me before I went, you know, Greg, don't be surprised when you get away that we're actually doing okay here in Vicpole and we might be, you know, leading the way, which I must admit when he said it to me, I wasn't, I didn't really take much notice because that's what, what I wasn't expecting, but it was what I found, I must admit, um, you know, after my trip around UK, Canada and the States that, you know, Victoria Police was certainly, um, you know, in my opinion, leading the way. Absolutely, mate. I couldn't agree more with you. You are leading the way that, you know, the kind of investment in it, you know, the, the numbers in, you know, in psychologists and, and that kind of how you're doing that cross-partnership working and then the dedication from the police officers that I met in all certain, in all areas as well, not just, you know, the areas of general policing, but people under investigation, etc. you know, and, and stuff like that. You are forward-thinking, you know, you know, streets beyond a lot of police forces across the world. And we've been very lucky in our fellowships to be able to come back and report that, you know, to our... Uh, to our peers and I've done a number of keynote speeches you know and obviously through our podcast as well where I kind of deliver that finding that information that's what the fellowship's about you know it's kind of it's it's about kind of delivering your findings on whatever platform to you know to people so that that knowledge is shared it's not about just going away and and seeing it for yourself because that's not going to achieve anything it's about getting back into your own you know forces and I've been lucky 
with, with the National Federation who were super supportive. You know, Simon Kempton, uh, the National Treasurer, was a, was a great advocate and really helped me to put me on a number of platforms to speak to a number of UK police forces about my findings and, and got some real great... Uh, real great feedback on it you know as, as so to speak that likes of Stuart Charlesworth who you're going to speak to has come from my force and he's now going to go on and do another fellowship and I, I can't I can't think I, I can't think of a better guy do you know what I mean he's a great guy Stu, and he's gonna he's gonna do great work looking at he's gonna take my work even further and look deeper and you know it's we need more people doing this kind of stuff you know because it's how we're going to learn as a as a, as a, as a worldwide team and I think that, you know, the th- one of the things that my fellowship taught me, which you've sort of just touched on a little bit, is we, until we broaden our horizons a little bit, we sort of get, you know, stuck in our own backyard, so to speak, don't we? And it's just when you have your eyes opened a little bit that, you know, and although that, you know, we say here, or I say particularly, we've just discussed that, you know, Vic Pohl uh, are very progressive, and but we don't actually see that a lot of the time ourselves, and we still have got a long way to go. I think there's no doubting that, you know, we still have a long way to go, but you've got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely, mate. You really have. And, and like I said, you know, it, it takes it takes leadership. It does take leadership, you know. We all have a little bit of leadership in us, you know, and this is not me putting the corporate hat on because you know me, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not like that. But, you know, it, it's, there is a... There is the, there's leaders in us all, and it's not just about kind of figures and, and performance. You know, there's leaders within this world as well, and it's more important in, 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 in this world that we live in because, you know, sometimes it does get passed over a little bit. And actually, you know, that we can we can broaden our knowledge base, we can kind of learn from other people, not be too embarrassed to say, Do you know what, Victoria Police are doing great things. Why can't we replicate some of that in Greater Manchester? the UK why can't they replicate you know what happens in say the Met or in London or you know over in Sydney or wherever it may be do you know what I mean we we all need to kind of share that knowledge you know and understand what, what the good things that people are doing and all try to kind of take it forward and do good things for the cops because at the end of the day this is for the cops this is for the people who are out there on the streets every single day dealing with every type of incident you know and the pressures that they're under at the moment in a brand new world which is totally different than the one i first started policing in 2002 and you know they need that support and we're so important to it you know i think it's um also probably relevant to you know that that support is not just a police thing is it you know in the first responder sector I think that that support, because we all do similar sort of jobs in some respects, you know, we're exposed to all different t- types of traumas. Um, it could certainly go a long way across the whole sector, can't it? Totally agree, mate. Totally agree. Our partners are so important and they're dealing with the same things as well. They're dealing with the same challenges. And you're absolutely right, you know, the first responders, they're just, they're just amazing people, you know, every day are kind of contributing to kind of, you know, protecting society and doing the best that they can. It's just, you know, this is not just a policing thing. You're absolutely right. And, you know, we should be able to come together. I think it's amazing that, you know, this is this is what this podcast is for and that, you know, all these responders working together is just a, a, another brilliant idea and great work that you're doing out there. Mate, just finally, I suppose, what um, could I ask you for some some of your advice for all the the first responders that are, are listening to this podcast, um, you know, and maybe their family as well, and you know, maybe not the the frontline staff, as you said earlier on, you know, our support personnel, etc. What what would be some of your best advice you could give to these people in relation to looking after their own mental health, well being? What's your advice, Lels? I think it's about, I think my, my biggest piece of advice would be about knowing your own limitation personally, knowing that, you know, you are a human as well, you know, that you you deserve some kind of respite and, 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 and getting things in place that you can, you know, you can look after yourself, whatever that may be, whatever you like to do, do more of it, you know, you know, kind of make sure that you, you're the best that you can be every time you put your uniform on and go out because you've done everything to kind of look after yourself in the first instance but also be an advocate be an advocate within your workplace you know don't let it take a 
Manchester Arena style incident for your organisation to change the response or say our response is not enough you know tackle the bosses there are good bosses out there I, I believe it I, I, I know as to, to coin a Star Wars that the, the, the force is still in them Greg I know it is <laughs> do you know what I mean it's in there somewhere you know and they, they've not forgotten that once they were kind of the firefighter or the police officer you know they were that you know that, that person as well and you know there's so much learning that can be done the big thing for me is what are you super what's your supervision knowledge your your mid supervision so that kind of you know that sergeant level that you know that that you know those that are looking after the frontline teams that immediate supervisor what are you doing as an organization to teach them around things like mental health first aid you know trauma management you know have they got the skill set in order to identify when the staff are showing changes, when the staff are kind of not, you know, not dealing with things that great. Have they got that identification, you know, and get rid of that stigma. Get rid of that stigma in the workplace, you know, make it a workplace where you can come forward and say, you know, you know, I don't feel great today and actually what support is there that I can access and people are not gonna kinda of say, Right, I'm not I'm not gonna to talk to Lals now because he's obviously on one and he's kind of losing his mind. Well I'm not do you know what I mean? It's okay for me. I've been there to not be okay and actually get some support and come back stronger and still kind of, you know, do things. And more than anything, mate, just be nice, stay safe and just kind of, you know, you know, enjoy the job because it's it's an amazing job, whatever you've got to be a first responder and, uh, and help people like we do. Great advice, mate, great advice. Now, I know, you know, we, so for instance, we haven't really touch much on the trim process and the trim system and some of the listeners might be you know wondering what that is i'm just wondering whether you i know what your answer is going to be but um you happy to provide an email address or something if anyone wanted to drop you a line to whether they want to ask you questions about your fellowship or whether they want to ask you about the trim process or or anything like is that something you'd be happy to do Mate, I'd be more than happy. I'm on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on. Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook, uh, and you've got my email details. I'm more than happy for you to share that around. If people want to ask me a question or, or or drop me a line, it's always great to hear from people. And I'm sure, like yourself, I still hear from great people just like you. You know, you know you know, through the months who I met when I was on my travels and they still keep in touch and, you know, say we're, we're doing this and what are you up to and stuff like that. And I think the more of that, the better. So, yeah, absolutely, mate. Please, you know, if anyone wants to connect with me, I'd love to kind of connect with them and keep in touch. Could you, um, just your work email address, do you want to just slowly read what your actual work email address is on the, on the podcast here so people can email you? Yeah, so it's uh, Martin dot lally and it's l-a-double-l-y at gmp dot police dot p-n-n dot u-k thanks mate and if anyone uh didn't get that they can uh, get contact through me and i'll be able to pass on your details mate but it's great to catch up again um We'll always uh, find time to talk to each other. We've also, you know, we yak about lots of different stuff. We we're talking about the cricket net before we came on. So, um, always, mate. thanks for for giving us your t- nearly an hour of your time uh, this morning, GM time. It's really appreciated, and we'll uh, we'll catch up soon. And um, I'm sure your podcast will be widely listened to. And I look forward to the feedback from it. Awesome. Thanks a lot, mate. It's been great to catch up. Thanks, mate. We'll speak. We'll speak again soon. Definitely.